Good morning, Parkway Church. How you guys doing today? Good. So glad you're here, whether you're at Parkway Victoria, Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, or at Parkway Online. We are so excited that you've chosen to worship with us today and to study and to connect with folks today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And before I jump into today's talk, I do have to make one more invitation. And that's the invitation for you to find your place to serve. Inside your bulletin, you see the serving needs of our church, and these are real needs within the body of our congregation. So if you would be willing to show how God is growing you by serving others, if you'd be willing to share the love and message of Jesus by serving others, we would love to have you on the team. So you can just give us your contact information, check the team that you want to be a part of, and we will connect with you this week, and you can get to serving as we kick off groups for every age and every life stage in two weeks. So with that, we're going to wrap up today the series, Asking for a Friend. And you know the premise behind this series is that we ask questions, but then we hide the question behind the hashtag, asking for a friend, so that people don't think we're actually asking for ourselves. For instance, if I binge watch all six seasons of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, does it make me old? Asking for a friend. And yes, it makes me old and boring, apparently. Does changing a light bulb over my kitchen island count as training for American Ninja Warrior? Asking for a friend. So I was standing on the counter this weekend, and I needed to change two bulbs. And every part of me wanted to jump to the other counter and grab the cabinets and hold on like a rock climber. I am so glad that Christy was there. I am so glad. She wouldn't let me do it. And so in this series, we've been looking at the big questions like, Who is God and where is God? We've been looking at how we should live and study the book of Proverbs. Then last week we looked at the book of Ecclesiastes to discover what the meaning of life is all about. And we came to the conclusion last week that life, if you chase it for pleasure or you chase it even for ultimate wisdom or you chase it with, with, with anything besides a motivation of your relationship with God, it all comes back empty. Our work comes back empty, our advancement comes back empty, even a a full bank account comes back empty if it's not built on your relationship with God. And so now we turn to the next book in the wisdom literature, and this is the Song of Songs. And as we study today, we're going to be reading another book written by Solomon. Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs, and he wrote 1,005 different songs or poems, And this song was recorded, and this song was included in our scriptures. And as we look at this, this is like some of the most difficult, like it's hard work to study the book of Song of Songs. This was like the best of his 1,005 songs, and this was like the one that they said, okay, we're going to include this in scripture. And let me tell you, this year we've walked through some hard books together. We walked through the book of Leviticus, and we survived it. We walked through like Numbers, but I'll tell you, this studying for Song of Songs or Song of Solomon is the, I had to study more for this message than any other message. And you're gonna see why in a minute, because it's all poetic language. English lit in high school, English lit in college. Uh, poetry was not my strongest section. And so now we look and we see this entire book of the Bible that's written in in verse. It's it's written as a poem about a love between a man and a woman. 
It's written as, as, as a, to tell us a story in three different phases. There's a dating phase and a courtship phase. And then they tell us the story of their wedding and their honeymoon phase. And then we get to hear the, the story of the maturing marriage and what they do to do life together long term. And that's what we discover in this book. But there are going to be times that, like, if you go read this book on your own, and I encourage you to do it, you're going to read something and you're going to, you're going to go, I have no idea what that means. But you're going to read it anyway because it's some good stuff. And so I encourage you, as we jump into the book of Song of Songs today, we're going to learn a couple of things. We're going to learn some dating lessons because they courted one another. And then we're going to learn some marriage moments that we can all live as husband and wife for those that are married. So let's jump in together. I've got three dating lessons, and then I've got some marriage moments. And the first dating lesson is this, that we're going to learn from the Song of Solomon. True love is a choice. There are three references to almost the exact same line within the book of Song of Solomon. Here's the first one in Song of Solomon verse two, or chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And this is the first warning that's going to come three, three different times, this one and then two others. It says, don't arouse love or awaken love until it so desires. And so as I read that within this dating context, as Solomon's dating his first wife, you got to know that love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is not something you fall into. Love is something that you choose. You say, Mike, you should go write like greeting cards. You are so romantic. Like, you should go write some cards. I didn't fall in love with you. I chose to love you. Deal with it. <laughs> but think about it. When you're dating, you don't just simply fall in love. You choose to love. You chose to get that online dating profile. You chose to respond to their inquiry. You chose to continue the dialogue going. You chose to go on a first date. You chose to continue dating. You chose before you felt anything. And as we look at this in the Bible today, know it. Love is a decision. And we can choose when we arouse it, when we awaken it. And we can choose how we live in it. One of the things I got to do this week was do the message that our students in Port Lavaca and Lone Tree are hearing right now in student ministry. And as a dad talking to a room full of teenagers at those campuses, I encourage them not to use the L word, love, too early in their relationships or in their lives. One of the ways that we awaken or arouse love early is by using those four letters put together and saying, I love you. And even if you're in a dating relationship, I caution you against using that word that's got so much weight to it. Love isn't a feeling or an emotion. Love is a commitment. And so I just caution you to be careful how you use the love word. My wife has only told one man that she loves him. You know who that would be? Me. And I am so hoping that my girls and my son 
Learn from that example where she chooses love. She's not out expressing love to anything and everyone like their dad did. Like I'm hoping that they are her, not me. But we start with a dating lesson. Love is a choice. And then the second dating lesson we pick up is that true love has limits. As they were preparing for marriage, we see their relationship, Solomon and the Shulamite woman. And Solomon, um, if you know anything about Solomon, he didn't always get this right. This was his first wife, but he would have 699 other wives. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, he got misled by his heart when it came to women. But in this one, he got it right. And he lived within the limits of true love before marriage. Song of Solomon 3, verse 5. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Again, it's that reminder that says, don't arouse or awaken love until the right time. Don't arouse or awaken love until the time is right. Solomon and his first wife didn't live together before they were married. They were pure before they were married. And let me just define what pure means today. Pure means no sex before marriage. They were committed to each other and they were living as people that were dating, not as people that were married. And there is a big difference, a big difference. And one of the reasons that you need to be careful how you use the word love on your lips is because what you do with your lips, you're gonna to wanna to do with your body. And so you need to be careful how you connect your heart and your soul and your spirit and your feelings and your emotions with one that you're dating because they aren't your wife, they aren't your husband yet. And Solomon got it right with his first wife. Now he got it wrong with all those other people, but he got it right the first time. And I just encourage you that if you look and you say, Mike, I haven't gotten it right any time. Just know this, the Lord is gracious and forgiving. Just know this, the Lord is into recommitments and you saying, hey, I'm gonna do it God's way. The Lord is into making us clean and new and pure in his eyes because of what Jesus has done for us. And then last, if true love is a choice and true love has limits, the last dating lesson is that true love trust God's timing. And I realize that in a congregation like ours across all of our campuses, I'm telling about 50% of the people that they shouldn't have the type of relationship that they desire to have before they're married. I realize that I'm telling about half our congregation, our single and divorced adults, that there are still limits on them. And I'm telling you that because I want you to trust God and wait on his timing. I'm telling you that because I'm convinced that if you do things God's way, it's better than you doing things your way. Especially when it comes to things regarding intimacy and how we commit our lives to each other personally. God's ways are always best. Can you trust God's timing? Listen to the third warning. Uh, it says, daughters of Jerusalem, Song of Solomon 8 verse 4. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In the Bible, it, it says, wait, 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 wait. Don't arouse or awaken love until the right time. See, Mike, what if my 
boyfriend or my girlfriend doesn't agree with that biblical view. Well, if your date won't wait to mate, don't let them be your date. If they won't wait, don't date. Why? Because you are trusting God's timing. Why? You are trusting God's word and God's will for you. You've done it your way and their way in the past. God's way is different. God's way is better. And that's what we learn in the courtship phase. Let me just tell you, Solomon and his wife had an amazing courtship phase. This was not a cold, distant relationship. This was a passionate, loving relationship within limits. I'm not asking you as single adults to disconnect from every thought and feeling and emotion that you have. I'm simply asking you to live what you believe in God with other people around you. If you believe that God is the leader and Lord of your life as a Christian, that should affect how you date and relate to other people. It should affect how you go out and you build your future marriage, Lord willing. I'm not inviting you to a life of boring dating. I'm inviting you to a life of God-honoring, fun dating. So with that, we transition to the second phase of their relationship. And this would be the honeymoon phase. And as I was preparing and studying and reading in Song of Songs chapter 8, there was a game changer that popped out from Scripture. And it's this. You can't buy love but you can invest in it. You can't buy love, but you can invest in it. Song of Solomon 8, 6 through 7. Listen to this. Listen to how they describe their love for each other. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Man, if you thought you were the first one to get a tattoo with your girl's name, mm -mm. I mean, they've got a seal on their arm, a seal on their heart. For my love is as strong as death. It is as jealous as it's the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Listen to how love is described. It's like a seal on the heart. Love is like a, the jealous grave. It captures everyone. Love is like a blazing fire. It's a mighty flame. It can't be quenched by water and it can't be quenched by rivers. This is a passionate love. And then the conclusion, if one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. So if you saw this kind of love and you said, you know what? I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna buy that white, hot, passionate love. I'm gonna put all the money in. I'm going all in on my love. That money that you push to the center of the table, the Bible said would be utterly, utterly scorned when you're trying to buy love. It would not be welcomed. It would not be a bet that could be taken. And Solomon was one of the richest guys ever. Can you imagine what he could push to the center of the table to buy love? But even his wealth would be utterly scorned when attempting to buy love. And so you can't buy love but you can invest in it. And as we keep reading through the Song of Songs, we're gonna see three ways that you can invest in a loving relationship, husband and wife and wife to husband. First one is this. Invest with your words, your thoughts, and your feelings. This is the foundation of all relationships. Guys like to make relationships about facts, but relationships are really all about feelings. What we are 
feeling, what we are going through, what we are thinking. And as we see this husband and wife relate to each other in Scripture, they both open up their heart and express it with their mouth so that their thoughts and feelings are known for each other. Listen to this, from husband to wife. Now, I told you Solomon was the wisest man ever to live. And as we read his description of his wife, I'm a little troubled by his word choices because most of his word choices have to do with something that he would have hunted or killed or chased out in the wilderness. He didn't choose, anyway, let's just discover these words together. Song of Solomon 4, verse 1. How beautiful are you, my darling. How beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Okay, he's doing pretty good so far. He says, your eyes are gorgeous. They're like doves. They're pure. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. You know, I thought that I had game. But look at this guy. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep, just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its own twin. None of them is alone. You've got all your teeth and they're white. Your lips are like scarlet, scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of pomegranates. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with its courses of stone. And on it hang thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Now that's a woman. Thousand shields hanging from her neck. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of gazelles that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountains of myrrh and to the hills of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. I mean, he did his best. <laughs> and, and I love how he concluded it. He said, you're altogether beautiful. I find no flaw in you. Let me just share with you what she would have looked like See, that would have been her. And he says, I find no flaw in you. Husbands, know this. The path to intimacy begins with your words, not with your touch. The path to intimacy is found in you sharing your thoughts, your feelings, your emotion, your life. And you're like, can't I just give her something? Nope. You can't buy love, but you can invest in it. And then we see the, the wife come back to the husband. And, and I love this because I, I've raised one boy and I've got two girls that are still in, in our house. And, and, and I know that girls and boys are different. And my son is bright. My son is a words guy. Um, but, but my girls can out-talk and can out-describe and, and, and outright any man that lives in our house. And, and that was true back here too. Listen to what Solomon's wife wrote to him. And remember, he said, your hair's like goats and your teeth, you got them. He, she says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy. 
outstanding among 10,000. If there were 10,000 men, you'd still be the best. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. He said, your eyes are like doves. And she said, your eyes are like doves that are by water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. (laughs) His cheeks are like beds of spice yielding perfumes. His lips like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory decorated with lapis. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. Oh, can you imagine how Solomon would take on the day with that type of encouragement? Some of you look and say, Mike, if I had a husband that looked like that, I'd be happy to talk like that. Let me just remind you. She looked at the end and said, my friend and my lover. That's what added to her words, her thoughts and feelings, was her commitment to her friend and to her lover. I mean, so you might have to change how you describe what your husband looks like. But your opinion of him, that he is your friend and he is your lover and that you respect him, Your opinion of him is the second most important opinion of his life. That first most important opinion is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. But ladies, your husbands need your words just as much as you need theirs. We will invest with our words, our thoughts, our feelings. We will invest, second, with time and with touch. Now, we're about to see in this honeymoon phase, one of the things that they did was to escape from everyday life to go and enjoy each other. And this is a wife-initiated experience. Listen to this, Song of Solomon 7, 1 through 13. And I promise you, this is the word of God. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go to the vineyards and see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom there, I will give you my love. So you're like, is she saying what I think she's saying? She said exactly what you think she's saying. (laughs) If those pomegranates are in bloom and that fragrance and that experience is there, I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at the door is every delicacy, both old and new, that I've stored up for you, my beloved. Friends, one of the reasons that we need to escape and to enjoy one another is that we remember the first love that we have in our home. First love that we have in our home is not our children. First love that we have in our home is not our job. First love that we have in our home is not our home itself. But the first love that we have in our home is between a husband and a wife. So we must escape to enjoy. You say, Mike, where is that bed and breakfast in the hill country with the blooming pomegranates? Some guy out there saying, you know, Mike, I remember there's a verse in the New Testament that says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Does that apply here too? So y'all are afraid to laugh and you shouldn't be afraid to laugh. 
But all the guys are like, man, I love you, dude. I love you. Love you. All right, moving along. So we invest with our thoughts, feelings, and emotion. We invest with time, and we invest with touch. Then we also invest through conflict. As we see that phase one, their courtship, and we see the phase two, the honeymoon phase, conflict comes next. And this is the phase of the maturing marriage, learning how to hold on through conflict. See, some of us live with this false premise that if I had that type of relationship or if I had their type of love, if I had the perfect love, then I would never have a problem in my life. Well, we look and we see that Solomon and his wife had a white hot love for each other. They were expressing themselves and enjoying themselves. They had what many people want. And yet conflict came. As we read through the book of Song of Solomon, the conflict came in ways that conflict might enter your house or mine. She got really upset that he was working so much. And she began to resent the fact that he was gone so long and that he was not with her all the time that she wanted him to be. And so what did, he, what did she do with her resentment? Well, she rejected him. There's this fascinating scene where Solomon is reaching through trying to open a gate, but she doesn't want to let him in because she is mad that he's worked late yet again. And so he leaves feeling rejected like a two-year-old boy, and now they've got conflict. You know, they say if love is blind, that marriage is a real eye-opener. And it's true. Every marriage has to deal with these feelings and emotions and thoughts and struggles where we deal with our resentment, we deal with our rejections, we deal with our hurts. And there was a moment in the book of Song of Solomon that, that they, they draw this word picture that can help you and me as we deal with those little resentments and little rejections and those little hurts that come along the way. Because I hope the love lesson you'll learn as we look at Song of Solomon 2 is that the honeymoon will end, but the marriage doesn't have to. Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church, puts it this way. You don't go buy a new car simply because you ran out of gas. So what do you do to deal with those everyday disturbances in marriage? They tell us, verse, chapter two, verse 15, catch for us the foxes. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. Now, the picture here is that you've got this vineyard that in the, and the buds are just coming out. And there are these little foxes that will run in and out of the stalks and they will knock the blossoms off before they fully bloom and before they come to fruit. And so what the image here is, is take care of those little things that knock the bloom off your relationship. Take care of those little things that knock the blossom off you enjoying your life with your wife or your husband. Take care of those little things before they become big things. And if you built your life and your relationship with your wife or husband on the ability to share your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions, that's your foundation. What do you do when you find those little foxes coming in to ruin your vineyard? You share it. You deal with it. If you find yourself holding it for another moment, release it. If you find yourself storing it away for the next argument, release it. That little fox that you are holding on to will ruin your relationship. Why would you hold on to a fox? 
when you can hold on to your wife? Why would you hold on to a fox when you can hold the hand of your husband? You say, Mike, but my husband is a fox. (laughs) So today, what do we take away? God cares about our love life because he is love. God cares about our love life and gave us an entire book in the Bible because he wants us to love others in a way that is showing that we love him. God wants single adults and divorced adults to date in the right way. God wants married people to live in loving, passionate relationships. Even as they grow older and discover that intimacy is far more than sex, God wants couples to live that white-hot relationship with each other. And so, friends, what's love got to do with it? Oh, it's got everything to do with it. And that's why we seek to love God and honor him in all of our relationships. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open the Bible today. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray for our folks among us that are pursuing a relationship. God, may they do it the right way. May they see your order in scripture and choose to follow that instead of their own desire, the desire of their mate. Lord, may they look not at the culture of our day, but look at the certainty of scripture and do it differently. And Lord, I pray that just as adults learn that lesson, that our students and children would learn that same lesson and would love you and show it in the way that they love others. God, I pray for those that have come in today and the last thing they wanted to hear was a love talk. God, I pray that you would help them wherever they are in this season, whether they are alone or whether they feel alone in their marriage. God, I pray you would help them in this season. God, help all of us to deal with the little foxes that can ruin our relationship. As we continue to pray, if you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus for life, let me tell you, the Bible says you're a sinner who needs a savior and that Jesus is the savior of the world. He died in your place. They nailed him to a cross and they laid him in a tomb. And three days later, he was raised again from the dead to forgive us of our sins and to give us life with God and a new life here on earth. The Bible says that Jesus is both Savior and Lord, and he invites us to put our faith in him, to believe in him, and to find life. So today's your day to believe. Let's mark it with a prayer you can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.